I think my, my training philosophy now is more or less, I'm still doing very, a combination of, I would say metabolic resistance training, um, on occasion. So circuit style, like circuit kettlebell complex kind of, kind of stuff, uh, a couple of traditional strength training, heavy days, um, you know, using motions that feel good for my body. Um, and then having a lot of fun with the other things like filling the gaps of fun activities, like sprinting on my bike, going to play paintball at a local place, like whatever this is, it's just using my body in an active way. The biggest thing I've learned as I've gotten older in my own personal training is that I auto-regulate like crazy now. Like when I was bodybuild, I, I was, mm-hmm. I followed periodized programs for about 10 years to great effect. And I, I don't know if I, w- I probably wouldn't have had the results that I have gotten if I didn't have such structured training. Um, but now my training is so much more fluid. It's a lot more intuitive. It's kind of like, what is my body presenting me with this day, this week? And so I might not follow exactly the same fixed workout schedule from one week to another. And I'm slotting things in when you're busy. Oh, I have an, a two hour gap in between this thing, that thing. You better believe I'm going into the garage and getting my movement in for that day. So I, I, I guess I take it less seriously too, where I'm not looking at tracking my PRs or hitting numbers is big. Um, but for me, I don't, it, it's not what I need at this stage of life. And what I'm much more concerned about is how do I take these things that I'm learning in my own routines and translate them to people who are not trying to be competitive bodybuilders, but want something sustainable that feels good on their body. What are the principles that work? And it seems to be, it's like listening to your body, daily activity over exercise. I'm always taking a a walk, even if I'm not necessarily training that day, I'm morning walks at least twice, absolutely meditating. Um, and then trying to do vigorous activity, I'd say at least every other day. Um, and, and I get it in, in, in my home gym or out in the world doing some fun activities. Hi, I'm Pete McCall. And welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning is the guest for this episode, Dr. Anthony Balduzzi. Dr. Balduzzi has founded something called the Fit Father Project. Now, to be fair, he's also founded the Fit Mother Project, but I'm a father myself. I'm also a fitness professional. I've been doing fitness for most of my life. So for me, fitness is a behavior that I've learned over the years. Now, what Dr. Balduzzi does with Fit Father Project is he takes men in their 30s and 40s, primarily fathers, who when you become a father, other things become a priority in your life. Taking care of your family becomes a number one priority. So I totally get the fact that for people who who may understand the role of exercise, for people that may understand that, hey, I should be exercising, but I need to work. I need to do my job. I need to take care of my family. That Those become competing things. That's why I think Dr. Balduzzi's program, the Fit Father Project, is so important. Because what you're going to hear about on the podcast today is how he takes guys, men and women, but how he takes people who have had other priorities in their life. They've had their careers, their families. They've had other priorities. They haven't gone to the gym most days of the week. They haven't made exercise or or health and nutrition a priority. And here's the thing. He's getting phenomenal results. He's helping change lives. His programs, the community he's creating, are changing people's lives. Long-term sustainable change happens just a little bit at a time. It doesn't happen all overnight. You have to do a little bit at a time. You have to change behaviors a little bit at a time. And that's what we talk about today with, with Dr. Balduzzi and his Fit Father Project. Now, if you're looking for ways that you can change your behaviors and add more activity to your life, if you enjoy All About Fitness, if you enjoy the podcast and you're getting value out of it, 
you can pick up the functional core training ebook for $7 and learn how to add more exercise and, and the exercises that you should be doing. I go through the research based on Dr. Stuart McGill, who's been a guest a few times. It will teach you programs that you can do on your own. There are links for that down below in the show notes. If you don't want to do that, then hey, go to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com. Go to PeteMcCallFitness.com, sign up for my mailing list. I will send you a chapter from my book, Smarter Workouts. My goal is to help you learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. This is a really, like I said, when I saw what he's doing the Fit Father Project, I knew he was the right person to have on the podcast. So here we are, the guest for this episode, talking about his Fit Father and Fit Mother Project, Dr. Anthony Balduzzi. Today on the All About Fitness podcast, it is really a thrill to catch up with Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, the founder of the Fit Father Project. How are you doing today, Doc? Amazing. Happy to be here. Excited for our conversation today. Well, I am too. And I was going back through it. And first of all, I want to say thank you for your time, uh, for joining me and joining the listeners. But, and I want to, I'm just going to dive right into this, right? Because on your website, you share this amazing story about how you got started on the journey. So if you could, if you don't mind sharing that story right now about, about your father and why that led you to, to do what you're doing right now. Yeah. So it, my, my journey into fitness, becoming passionate about this was actually born from like the soil of some deep family tragedy. You know, growing up, I had a regular childhood, but I watched my dad basically work himself to the bone. Um, and he got really sick and he ended up dying at 42 years young. Um, I was just nine at the time. My little brother was six and it completely rocked our world, as you can imagine, like losing dad. We just moved from Canada to, to Arizona, where I live now. It was just me, my mom, my little brother. And, and, and it was a severe wake-up call from a young age about how important your health is. And that ultimately I saw with my dad's life when he lost that, he lost that foundation. He lost everything else he loved. His ability to spend time, me, my mom, my little brother, to work, to put food on the table. And it really rewired my psychology from a young age that I need to figure out how, what I can do to keep my body strong. And also, you know, although this idea only became more flushed out over the years, but it's like, how, how do you, as a busy person with all these different responsibilities, manage putting food on the table with keeping up with your fitness routines. And that's stuff that I saw my dad struggle with. So I went on into fitness. I did bodybuilding, I eventually went to medical school. And, and the kind of mission was, how do we make this health and fitness stuff simple and sustainable for busy people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s? The Fit Father Project was born out of that mission, basically crystallizing the system that I'd figured out over the years. And then we have the Fit Mother Project too. Um, and that's what my team do and I, we would do all day is we help busy people get on simple and sustainable nutrition exercise routines that work for people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s that they can keep up with. Um, and, and that really elevates all areas of their life. And it doesn't feel like it's something that's really dragging them down. Um, and so a lot of it's in memory of my dad, but now the mission's so much bigger. It's just seeing all these beautiful families change and, and, and leading this movement of people uh, being able to take care of themselves. Well, if you don't mind my asking, what, what type of work did your father do? Because in looking through and going through the, what your, your website and some of the videos that you have on the Fit Father Project YouTube page, it's kind of interesting to see this, this dichotomy. And I'll talk a little bit about my experience. Mm -hmm. But if you don't mind, what, what, what kind of work did your father do? He was, that kind in, of he was in like high, he, New Yorker guy. Grew up, he worked in the city for many years, okay. high pressure job in like computer leasing. A lot of times growing up, he'd sleep in the office kind of situation. 
uh, he had a good job, a lot of responsibilities. And, and I, and obviously like you can't say he ended up getting diagnosed with cancer is okay. what and only took his life. Um, and we do know now from like uh, basically our modern understanding of the immune system, how important your stress levels are in terms of cortisol and how that regulates your immune system and your immune system constantly battling cancer cells. So, I mean, stress is a way to really kill yourself fast, um, as well as not doing the kinds of things that, you know, lead to robustness in the system, like the right kind of nutrition, the proper exercise routines, et cetera. So that was what my dad did hard charging life. And there's no shortage of guys just like my dad or women that are managing work and families. Like that's who we are now at this day and age. So I believe fundamentally that our health routines need to be respecting to that fact. And we start there. Well, the interesting thing is, is that when I was looking at your information, because I've worked in, in, fit, in the fitness industry for a long time. I started as a personal trainer in my late 20s in downtown Washington, D.C. And there were a lot of people with very stressful careers there. But it's funny because I was always in an environment where people were coming into a health club to try to – they're at least making the effort to try to, mm-hmm. to add more exercise or to try to add more healthy living to their life. So I have to be perfectly honest. I am just not that familiar. Like I don't – my whole career for the last 20 something years has been working with people making the attempt to pursue a healthier life, if that makes sense. And I guess what I'm not that used to, I'm not that familiar with being around people that, that aren't. So, and I think you've tapped into like, what are some of the challenges? Cause I was looking at that, like there's a huge dichotomy there, right? Because you're going after a group of people who right now aren't engaged in health or aren't engaged in fitness. So what are some of their challenges? What are what, like, what's the number one or two, the top two challenges you might hear from somebody joining your program about why they haven't made time for, for health and fitness? Yeah, it's so true. And that's exactly who we serve is, is people who don't have this momentum or these established routines, or they don't have this stuff figured out. Well, the way I look at it, and let me go a little big picture to get directly into your question is, is essentially when it comes down to our health, it comes down to our consistent behaviors and routines. And for people who are living healthy, they have systems in the area of their exercise, their nutrition, and their sleep that keep them moving generally the right direction. There's zigs and zags, but they're moving forward. For people who are currently out, out of shape, let's say you know 65% of people in the United States, overweight, obese, you know, this is the kind of situation we're in right now. Those people often are lacking in the fundamental routines in those three areas. And they also have this huge emotional component of feeling the guilt of trying and failing diets, the busyness of the schedule that feels like they can't even create this new exercise habit because I don't have the time. Perhaps there's other influences of friends and family that are living in a certain kind of way with them and solidifying everything. And then we throw what's going on in the last year and a half with around everyone with whether it's stress and politics and coronavirus and all this stuff, you have a perfect storm of mental chatter, busyness, lack of structure and a desire that's in conflict with where we're currently at. So this is the reality of what it takes to get people healthy, like all those factors need to be addressed. And what I found is it's not enough just to give people meal plans or, or workout routines anymore, we need to help people establish their own unique health operating system, like for them. And this is like when we, we, we know when it comes to like weight loss, for example, easiest ways to help people clean up their nutrition, you know, get them sleeping right enough and clean up their nutrition. It's going to help them lose weight faster than any kind of workout could on its own. You can't out exercise a bad diet. So from that end, what can we do to install a nutrition system for somebody who has nothing right now, or they have something that is, is counterproductive. We like to build these systems. And, and you're so right because Yesterday is a good example, right? 
is I usually give one day a week of where I kind of don't do that much exercise. It's kind of my active recovery day where I, well, I'll go for a walk or, or take a nice easy stroll around my neighborhood. But it was a beautiful day and I live, listeners are probably tired of hearing me saying this, but I chose where I live very specifically. I'm less than a kilometer from a great trailhead for, for my mountain bike. I do a lot of mountain, I, I mountain bike two or three times a week. Nice. And yesterday I ended up doing, I, I ended up going up one of the steeper trails just because I wanted to check it out because it had been raining. I wanted to see how much rain was on it. So what should have been, what, what originally was going to be like a 30 or 40 minute just walk around the neighborhood turned into an hour scramble up the side of a mountain just because that that's my mindset of like, I'm always looking to do something active and I'm always and I always kind of every week and I'm just sharing kind of like my mindset because mm-hmm. not being in that mindset, I have to admit it is foreign to me. So like, I don't know about you, Doc, but like on a Sunday, I'll kind of look at my week and say, all right, what day am I going to train this yeah, time? When, when, when am I going to do this? Like I kind of plan out my schedule for the week. When am I going to ride? When am I going to hit the gym? Like today that we're recording, this is going to be a gym day, a weightlifting day. Mm-hmm. And and for me, that's like just ingrained behavior. Yes. So how so a large part of what you do is just get people to change their behaviors like that. And what do you find is the biggest challenge when you to get somebody to move from that that mm-hmm. mindset of they understand it's important and they understand that that it needs to be something they yeah. do. But what's 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 word for you to kind yeah. of get people to adopt that mindset? Yeah, um, I mean, I want to plus on what you said and get to the direct question. But what you described as your mind is a highly productive, effective, seasoned health and fitness, both teacher and practitioner, right? You have the habits of the pre-planning and you get this positive reinforcement loop because you legitimately love doing this stuff and it makes you feel good, look good, et cetera. So you have this momentum, plus you have a simple habit of pre-planning. These are the, these are the habits of successful people. We try to install those early for people who don't have to spend 10 years like figuring out this is where you ultimately get to, but install those from day one. So the most challenging part of helping people get started is that there's so much that you could do. Let's say you're starting from like ground zero. Where do you start? Do you get a gym membership? Do you start doing at-home workouts you found on YouTube? Do you focus on nutrition? I know I'm not sleeping well. Like what do you even start? And I love the analogy. And it struck me very early on when I was coaching is the idea that little hinges can swing big doors. Mm. So what I'm thinking as a coach is like, okay, what are the little hinges that we can start to install in someone's life that are going to give them this flywheel of positive reinforcement? And by and large, the main one that we work with people is getting them on some kind of more structured eating plan, one that works for them. Why? Because if you have a guy who's 350 pounds and you get him to clean up his nutrition and just like do nothing else, maybe he walks a little bit around the house, like that man can lose 10 pounds in a week, you know, and this is not like pure body weight, but it's, it's bloat, it's water retention, it is poop, it is some body fat. So we love to start with nutrition because I believe that when we look at our, our weeks and our days, it is the structure that we're able to create for ourselves ahead of time that enables us to follow along this healthy path. So it's like you on Sunday are thinking about you in the future and being like, this is what I want to accomplish this week. So we start with nutrition with people and basically say, look, you know your schedule. You have kids, you have a job, you have whatever. When are the most convenient times for you in a perfect world of low friction? When was it best for you to eat? 
what is your meal timing schedule setup? Do you enjoy breakfast? Do you want to intermittent fast? And the, the thinking behind this is not that meal timing is magical. There's so many different ways you could possibly do it, but what's the one that's going to fit Joe's schedule or Karen's schedule and help them take ownership over that? Because once you have that structure, they're like, yeah, now I know I'm committing. I'm actually just going to intermittent fast until 1030. I'll have a, a, a shake then. I'll have uh, some nuts or a bar or something at like three, and then I'll have a dinner that can be really relatively flexible. But when you make these things proactive, instead of reactive, you start to help people dig out of this hole because people are in a hole of reactive behaviors. Structure is what helps people get proactive. So we start that with nutrition structure. And eventually, once we get some momentum there, people are getting positive reinforcement. They're like, I'm feeling better. You know, I'm not having these XYZ symptoms. I don't have headaches anymore. Then you can layer on the next levels of, okay, let's start moving your body. How many times a week? And I got this from John Berardi, but like I was in a seminar of his, but like how many times per week, 10 out of 10, can you actually exercise? And it's like, I can do one time a week, 10 out of 10. How about, could you do two times a week? No, that's a nine out of 10. Then we're going to start with the 10 out of 10. Let's build some wins. Let's build some momentum. Um, and it really, in my opinion, comes down to the structure, how you're looking ahead of your week. How, what is your nutrition like for generally for the day? And then it's like, how many exercise sessions are you going to get in? The cool news for busy people is you get on a sustainable nutrition plan. You exercise three times per week of the right kind of exercise, or maybe just do fun stuff you love every single day. Like it doesn't have to be formal gym workouts. You can build a phenomenally healthy body into your 60s, 70s, even 80s and beyond. Well, it's interesting that you referenced Dr. Berardi there, Anthony, because I, I interviewed him a couple of years ago, and I've, I think I first heard him speak maybe years ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago. And he, so when I was hearing you talk, it, it kind of reminded me of some of his principles because he talks, and I love this concept of what's one thing that we can change right now, yeah. right? And as you're talking, it occurred to me where we've, having been somebody that has worked ensconced in the fitness industry for so many years, there, there are a few failings. I'm very, very, I'm very cognizant of the fact that the fitness industry has failed a lot of people, a lot of consumers out there. I'll be the first to admit it. And one of the things that I like about this last year and a half, and I hate to say this for operators out there, for club owners, I hate to say this, but we needed this shakeup. We needed this, this disruption in the industry to get rid of it, get rid of some of the excesses and to help us focus on what's important. Because what we've done is we've put so many things out there. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do that. That I totally, I'm very empathetic to the guy. I put myself in this situation. If I were a software salesman like your father, where do I start? What do I do? Therefore, you, it becomes so overwhelming that it's like, I'm not going to do anything. Right. It's like it's so, so much, confu so much confusion out there that I'm not going to do anything. Yes. And that's one of the reasons, one of the big messages I try to put out on this podcast is, Fitness is having the ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that the one of the good things I like about this last year is it's getting us to recognize that health and fitness is, is a component of overall good health. Yes. That health and fitness, that people who have been struck by the virus that were relatively fit, of course, there are a few outliers that may have gotten sick or may have passed away, unfortunately. But for the most part, those of us like yourself, myself, and, and many of your clients who make health and fitness a priority, if we've gotten sick or if they've been sick, it's been a much lower impact and they've been able to recover quicker. Mm -hmm. Now with that, I want to ask a question because you're a naturopathic doctor, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so what does that mean? What is, what is a naturopathic doctor and how does that differ from what we might normally think of as traditional medicine? Yeah. So naturopathic medicine may be 
And I, I don't want to set up a war because I think there's often this idea of conventional and alternative medicine. Um, I suppose for me, the reason I pursued um, a degree in naturopathic medicine, wanted to be trained in that way because it jives with my philosophy and understanding of like the natural order of things. Currently in, in modern medicine, we have specialists upon specialists. And this is because we have a reductionistic thinking system of the body. You have a doctor for your heart and you have a doctor for your kidneys and they have different goals. And so those things are kind of, you know, at odds with each other. And then we have this idea of symptoms, which are the body's response when there's some kind of dis-ease or disharmony. Like you, you stub your toe, you get this symptom of pain and swelling, which is the body's natural response to start to heal things. Well, when we have more of these chronic lifestyle diseases that are plaguing many people right now in Western developed countries, heart disease, diabetes, cancer we're seeing is highly linked to lifestyle kind of factors like these. These big three are currently being treated in a model of suppressing symptoms. Oh, you have high cholesterol? Let's take something like a statin that, that is gonna mask essentially or stop the body's production of, of cholesterol. Um, but this is kind of a problem because life is not reductionistic. It is, is a dynamic equilibrium. That's what we see in nature and it's certainly what we see in our bodies. And the naturopathic philosophy likes to first and foremost treat the whole person. It's like, how can we use the least invasive therapies possible? Typically lifestyle stuff, right? Typically like helping people do all the things we would quote unquote called fitness. I mean, it truly is medicinal. You can get people off diabetic pre-diabetes without any medication. You can reverse heart disease with certain kinds of diets and, and the right kinds of interventions of exercise and sleep and supplementation. So it's true the whole person. And it's the other thing that I think is even more special. And this kind of comes into, I would suppose, like my spiritual worldview beliefs is that the naturopathic doctor first and foremost believes that the healing is done by the patient's body. And it is the doctor's job to simply be a facilitator and to remove obstacles. Whereas in allopathic or conventional medicine, the thinking is that the doctor is doing the curing. <laughs> and that is, in my opinion, that is blatantly untrue. This body has innate intelligence that's been expressing our entire lives from the moment we are these two little germ cells developing into this complex, amazing human. There is a self-guiding, self-correcting mechanism in this body. And what we're trying to do then is remove the obstacles to that cure and help the body kind of have its own natural innate ability to amplify that and heal. And, and, and there's many ways to go about that. Now, these things are complementary because ultimately, in my opinion, the stuff that most people want to fix with the chronic, uh, I want to make my body look better, feel better. I want to have healthier blood work. That's naturopathic medicine, 10 out of 10. And in the sense that we have to look at what you're eating. We have to look at what your stress level is at. We have to look at how you're moving. Now, if you break your leg or if you are in a car crash and you need to repair something, you go to a surgeon, right? So these are complementary things, but we can't use a surgeon's scalpel on a baby. You know, you don't, you don't use that one tool in all circumstances is what I'm trying to say. And I agree. It's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm nodding my head for listeners. Um, I'm nodding my head to what, what, what Dr. Balduzzi is saying because I had, um, I, had a, I had a guest on last year, Dr. Minkoff, who had gone down the path, had gone down this path. He had been a traditional medical doctor mm -hmm. and then his wife was afflicted with something and they went through the process and they realized that it was a filling in her teeth, that it was a lead filling in her teeth that was causing a disease state in her body. Right. And I really like that approach of it's like, look, if we, if we eat well, and I don't know, you know, we all we all kind of slide off the diet a little bit. But oh, if we perfect. eat well, if we eat what we should be, it's kind of the way I look at it with, with, with clients. When I was working with clients full time, we all know what we should be eating, right? Mm -hmm. And we know what we shouldn't be eating. Yes. So there really, there's really not much mystery there. We know what yes. we should be eating. When we're eating well, when we're active, at least 30 minutes a day. And I want to say active because, mm -hmm. again, I think one of the mistakes we've made in the fitness industry is making exercise a priority instead yes. of just going out and being active. Just totally being active for 20, 30 minutes in the yard. To get, if you sweat a little bit and get your heart rate up, 
You've met, you've met the need. Definitely. But I agree 100%. I love that approach because if we eat the right things, if we're active 30 minutes a day, and if we get sleep, if we get more sleep, we'll probably take care of a lot. I mean, is that kind of yes. been your experience? Yes. Yes. The body will. Of course it will. We're giving the body yeah. the substrates it needs. We're removing offending factors, and we're giving the body regeneration time and sleep to express its amazing intelligence to heal. Like that it can, I mean, there, and I'm not saying there's not certain instances for, for medical intervention because they're absolutely there. Yeah. But for most of us in most scenarios, it's down to this lifestyle stuff. And like, let's look at the people who have lived the longest around the world, these pockets of longevity, these centenarians, what they do is they eat mostly not like almost non-processed diets. They're like doing a lot of farming. They have daily activity. They're not doing P90X. They're walking up the hill to carry their corn basket or whatever they're yeah. doing. Um, and they have good family social connections. They smile a lot and they have meaning to their lives. Like this is what the body needs for supported health. It's just the problem is we live in a very fast paced, modern, disconnected and confusing landscape and fitness professionals have made this worse because especially with the nutrition side of things, not even just the exercise side of things, that point of daily activity, more fundamental than exercise, 110%. You know, you can accumulate micro activity throughout the day and, and have an amazingly fit body doing little bits here and there, but it's the diet stuff that I think really gets people because we have so many diverse camps that are saying almost the exact opposite things with lots of passion and lots of good results in terms of what people have experienced that people are so confused about what they should even eat. Um, and what I like to always think is like, what are the principles that, that are shared between all of these things that are actually driving the results? So I think the nutrition side is where the fitness industry could really help a lot of people because everyone knows they need to be active. And I don't care if you do Zumba, if you ride your bike, if you do traditional weightlifting, if you do CrossFit, whatever it is that works for you, like that's great. But the nutrition thing is interesting. Well, it is funny. I'm going to hold this up because I had uh, this guy on uh, maybe a little while ago, a couple episodes before this, and his name is Dr. Herman Ponser. But what he did in this book, Dr. Balduzzi, was he spent time, he's actually an anthropologist, and he spent time with different with different indigenous peoples around the world. And, he, and he, in the book, he, he does a case study of the Hadza people of the Hadza tribe in northern Tanzania. Well, these are people who are eating a strict, quote unquote, paleo diet yeah. because they go out. The women will go out and look for grubs and berries and, and, and whatnot throughout the day, often wearing their young children on their back. Yeah. The men will go out and hunt. So the men are going out and getting the protein. Both groups, men and women, walk between like six and, and 12 kilometers a day. Yeah. And it's just like I look at that and then we look at what we're doing in the first world. We move so far away from that. And, and the point that I made in that interview, and I'll reinforce it here, is when you look at, at somebody in an indigenous culture, they're walking hundreds of meters a day, thousands of meters a day. They're putting out 2,000 calories a day in order to take in maybe about 2,000, 2,200 right. calories. And so they're very lean. And here we are in the first world. For listeners, I'm holding up my iPhone, and I can order 4,000. I, I can order 4,000 calories right now and have it at my door with a little bit less than any effort whatsoever. Yeah. And that, to me, I mean, would you agree that this could be that? That's one of the downfalls of getting into that habit of not being involved with how we get our own food. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. And and it's such a slippery slope because you 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 eat like. These kinds of things, they give you a quick hit of, you know, dopamine or serotonin. You know, they feel good in the short term. Blood sugars feels good. And then you, then you get the dip. Then you're on this vicious roller coaster. And then you got to get off it. Um, 
I see it all the time. I think one thing that's fundamental, this is slightly switching gears, but it's very relevant to what we're talking about this moment is that one of the things I think is really important as coaches to do is help people see how, how important this health stuff is through their own deep personal reflection. And one thing we do with our fit father and fit mother programmers before they start our program is we have them go through this deep journaling exercise Mm -hmm. where they start to look at every area of their life that matters to them. It's like, what are your core values? What is the stuff you care about? Well, I care about the well-being of my kids. I care about the core value of integrity and I care about, you know, making money for my family or something like that. That's going to be three example core values. And then you start to look into how are your decisions around your health around your nutrition, sleep, exercise affecting every single one of those areas. And the idea is um, that we start to shine light on these gaps in people's psyches and lives where they start to see that fitness is not something disconnected from the rest of their life. It's foundational because it's connected to your ability to make money. It's connected to you setting a good example for your kids. It's connecting to, you know, all these things, your, your, your passion, your engagement, your energy levels. And so I, this isn't a, this is a part where I, I feel like good health coaches end up being, um, good people are helping people with their psychology. I wouldn't call them necessarily like psychologists, but you need to be able to help their help clients reflect on themselves, get very clear from an emotional level on why this stuff's important and fundamental. And then when you're at the restaurant and you have the choice between the wild salmon and the burger, it's like the decision now has more weight. It's not just about taste. It's about I'm, I'm living in alignment with my core values here. This is why I choose this today. And, and that helps people be a lot more accountable because ultimately what is health and fitness, healthy living other than making consistent healthy choices, right? Well, we just take, have to make, we have to make the choices every day. So you got to have a reason to make the choices. Well, let's take a step back from that doctor. I'm sorry to cut in there, yeah. but you, you mentioned dopamine and serotonin, right? Those are our feel good neurotransmitters. Yeah. You add in adenine, and I don't think I pronounced that right, but there's another another neurotransmitter that begins with an A. Adenosine is, is, is one of them, but like it's more relaxation sleep stuff. But keep on going, yeah. Maybe it's a menanine. It's something – it's – I'm dumb. Yeah, anandam, anandamide. I yeah, that's that, that, that's anandamide the one I'm thinking. Anandamide is the alkaloid that – yeah, anyways, keep on going. It, it's, a posit- it's one of the positive neurotransmitters that along with like epinephrine and norepinephrine, these are all the feel-good neurotransmitters, right? Mm. Here I am. I'm sipping a cup of coffee. One of the things that coffee does is help stimulate epinephrine and cortisol, which which yes. can, gives you the burst of energy. Yes. Well, sugar can do the same thing. When you look – and that's where I think you have to – with what you're doing with Fit Father, I get the fact that, okay, I eat that burger and fries and it gives me that dopamine rush. It gives me that serotonin rush. And then you have that feel bad thing. And I think the biggest challenge that you have when somebody starts the program is to get them to shift that. They're used to their dopamine and serotonin fix from prepackaged yes. food, from like sure. sugar. And me scrambling up the hill yesterday on my walk that ended up being a hike was me going after the same dopamine and serotonin fix, mm-hmm. right? I mean, is, has that been your experience that when these guys come to you, they don't realize that in essence, we're all junkies, yes. right? And I'm going to put it from this way. You and I may exercise for our junk, and I'm smacking my vein right now for listeners. You and I might exercise for that dopamine and serotonin burst where somebody else might open a bottle of alcohol or might eat that crappy right. food. So isn't a lot of, of, of health coaching with what you do with Fit Father, isn't it just getting people to kind of realize that and shift that mindset? Yeah, you're getting the same rewards from a different source, but also making it conscious, seeing like, holy crap, this was that blind spot. I was self-medicating with food for you know this this amount of time or whatever it is. 
and, and I think part of the process then, how do you set up something that, that immediately feels rewarding from a neurochemistry standpoint, you, you make it like gamified in a bit. So what I mean by that is weight loss in itself can become a game for people, especially mm. if you help your clients create early wins, they, they lose an appreciable amount of weight in their first two weeks. They're like, that is it. That is when they're st- stepping on the scale, taking measurements or whatever they're doing. That is a, that's a very substantial positive reinforcement from neurotransmitters. That's going to help condition their future behavior. Um, also with our exercise programs, we make them progressive. So there's like levels to them. So like you start off, you might only be able to get to level six, but next time you train, you get level seven. And that was only like from one workout under your belt. So like, that's amazing. And you get positive reinforcement there. Um, and I guess like feeling good itself is like a low level, just positive reinforcer. When you start to see like, wow, I used to have brain fog here. Now I feel great. It's, it's amazing. So yeah, you got to build these in. You got to help you make, make those swaps and you got to make it as tangible as possible. That's why I like to bring it back into like the nitty gritty. What's the hammer here? The hammer ends up being things like your schedule. The hammer ends up being like, you have a, you know, what kind of exercise you're going to do. And it's on your calendar for this particular day. Like, and you got to get people to take those small steps and then they see, wow, this is actually a way that I can exert less mental effort. It's actually more streamlined. It takes away less time and I feel even better. Like I'm in and you want to get people to that buy-in point. It takes time. Like we don't get unhealthy overnight. It takes years, if not decades for many people. So, but the good news is I think in around six months of really getting after this stuff, you can make a very substantial and, and sustainable change. And I think that's, I think that's critical for people to realize. And there've been I've seen successes over the years. I mean, there's one guy I'm going to have him back on the um, back on the podcast before long. Cause he actually wrote a book about it, and I don't, his name is Vance Hines. And he a couple of years ago, I don't know how familiar you are with Joe Rogan and the Joe Rogan podcast, yeah. but a couple of years ago, I think it was 2017, so it's four years ago, almost four years ago now. Joe Rogan did that. They did their first sober October where they're trying to lose weight and everything. And, and that kind of motivated, motivated Vance to do this. And the funny thing is, Anthony, over the last three and a half, four years, I've watched Vance. He's now less than 200 pounds. He started, I think he was almost 500 pounds. Wow. I mean, he was, he was very extremely obese. Yeah. He had tried a lot of things. Now, he started working with a Diamond Dallas page and started going down that. But it was that one little thing of listening to, like, Bert. He was really Bert Kreischer on Sober October. I don't know how familiar you are with the comedian. But he, he's kind of a goofball, and I don't think he listens to the podcast. But I wouldn't trash him anyway. But he's kind of – I, I look at Bert Kreischer as somebody being very typical – of the type of person that comes to the Fit Father Project, mm-hmm. where Bert is, he he understands the role of activity, and I and then this is from me listening to his podcast. He does a podcast called Two Bears One Cave, mm-hmm. and he's one of these people. And I think a lot of people, I don't know, I'm, I'm 48 years old. I'll be 49 in a few months, and I think a lot of people in my age range get stuck in this thing of like, okay, I may know that being active is important. I may I may enjoy exercise to a degree, but once I have that first drink or once maybe I have that, yeah, I yeah. go out to eat with my family and I have that whatever, all of a sudden now I'm ordering that extra dish or now we're ordering dessert. And I think we cascade into this and then we get into the cycle where we know what's important or we know what we should be doing, yet we get sidetracked by what makes us feel good in the moment. Yeah, self-sabotaging are, behaviors in the short term, yeah. Has that been something that you've experienced? And the reason why I bring that up is because watching Vance change his life over the last number of years, it did not happen overnight. Right. It wasn't something that happened in a few days. It's been a process of, like I said, almost four years of doing this, but he's done it step by step by step. So with that, what have been some of the biggest success stories you've seen where I'm going with this is what have been some of the biggest success stories you've seen from Fit Father? Have you seen men 
do similar weight losses of where they've been able to change. And it sounds so overwhelming at first, right? I'm going to change everything about my life. Well, no, we're just going to change one thing at a time. What are one or two of the success stories you've seen where people have been able to make those type of transformations? Yeah. So, so we have, we have one guy, Craig, who's lost close to 200 pounds now. He's pastor in, uh, in middle America, you know, not eating the right kinds of foods, family got him busy. Um, and he was one of those guys that actually just never, um, felt good about his body. I mean, even in, I think he said the, he said before he joined our program, the last mile he ran was in middle school. Hmm. Like that, that's the kind of experience he had for many years. Um, and you know, since joining us and kind of following the method, he's lost close to 200 pounds. He's run a half marathon. Wow. He like, he's just feeling amazing. Um, and I think that the way those journeys happen, whether it's advances or Craig's is a, it's clusters of good decisions in the right direction. And, and I think we need to lose this all or nothing mindset that there's you're on the plan or you're off the plan. And what I see is the most successful clients we have are guys that know how to course correct and mm-hmm. actually course correction being a skill in fitness. And I can reflect personally, like I'm not always on hundred percent on track. I've clustered my decisions always there, but if I feel like I'm deviating, I have guardrails and like and systems and just awareness in my life that I'm able to correct back on track because it's okay if you went out on a Friday night and you said you were going to eat the chicken salad, but you found yourself uh, deep in four slices of pizza and that was not the plan. Okay. Like that happened. Right. But like what's happening the next morning, are you back on your morning shake or are you in the screw it cheat weekend? We'll have the pancakes and you go into Monday feeling like crap throughout this whole thing. So your ability to course correct, or as a coach, your ability to help your clients gain the skills of course correction is essential because if we cluster, if we can make those drifts more minimal and we don't go off the rails, then we're clustering in the right, the right direction, which is an upward trend, which is success for everyone. So for us, you'll go ahead. I was going to ask, what's the psychology of like, what has there been any work on that? Because you're right. It's one thing to make a little stumble and maybe have that extra pint of beer or that, like that, whatever, that third slice of pizza. And then what's the difference between getting up the next morning and saying, okay, that was that let's, I always kind of did this with clients, right? I would give them the absolution and be like, all right, we can't control what we did yesterday. Whatever you did or didn't do yesterday, let's put that behind us. We're here right now. But what, is there a psychology there that, that, that causes people to say, well, I did that last night. So yeah, I'm just going to dive in and have the chicken and waffles for breakfast this morning, as opposed to getting up and going for a walk or going for, or going and getting back on the healthier, the healthy behavior. Yeah. Well, a couple things here. I mean, fundamentally just in like looking at the experience that I believe most of us share with this is the feedback loop of guilt and suffering is built in. Like, so it is not for us to deny, but for us to like, look at, if we didn't feel guilty about something, we wouldn't have felt like we did anything wrong. So you wake up the next morning, you're like, damn, that's not, that was not good. And so where do you go with that thought? You go, you have two options. You have one, you can go down the whole thinking train of like, oh man, I, I, I am statements. I can't do this. I'm always the kind of guy that slips up. I just don't think this is too hard. Screw it all in. The other way to look at it is, 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 is the skill of choosing each day is that new opportunity um, and looking at, okay, that's the past. What am I choosing to create right now? And mm-hmm. not letting your past experiences, thinking or lapses, you know, control your future behavior. Cause that's where the bad momentum comes in. When we let our past and our identity, which is the story we tell ourselves about our past behaviors, you know, dictate the future, then we're in deep trouble. So what we help our clients do specifically is two things. One is tactical. And as we build these quote unquote free meals into their weekly plan. 
because when we're doing nutrition, we want to balance variety and consistency. We want consistent, healthy meals because it makes it easier for us to stick to it. But we also want variety. And, and sometimes we want to eat things like we all have that little naughty side. Like we want to have the cookies when we feel like we shouldn't. So that what if that's something that can be addressed and like honored and incorporated into the program? So that's why we have guys pick strategically in addition to their workouts every week. What's your free meal? Pick one meal. I typically for many people like a Friday or Saturday, and that's in the plan. So then we remove the guilt because you don't call it a cheat meal because it's kind of BS. It makes it seem like you're doing something bad versus pre-planning it. And mm -hmm. as long as your calories are for the week are kind of in target, you're still wildly successful. The next thing is having an easy onboard ramp. Like once you drift, do you have to then think about what to get back to? Or is it very simple? Like for us, I think nutrition is so found, foundational because the next day if someone drifted, it's like, oh yeah, I'll just go back to my shake. That is my go-to breakfast, or I have my three go-to breakfasts. I'll just have that. It's when we don't have a very readily available option or a clear path that we're, we get we we drift out into the dark night of the forest. Like mm -hmm. if we know where exactly to walk back on, it makes it easier. So how concretized is that onboard ramp in the morning after typically someone's had something at night? These are some ways we approach it, and ultimately it's it's for those people that are ultimately going to stay healthy, not just lose the weight, but actually maintain it need to figure out how to do this own psychology, mentality, awareness stuff themselves. And that's honestly probably one of the biggest benefits of the process of weight loss itself is like getting able to understand your patterns, your emotions, your thinking, and like gaining mastery or a degree of mastery over that. And that keeps you sustainable over the long haul. I guarantee if you and I went to vacation together and, and we just like blew it up, we ate all the wrong foods. We drank beer every single day for 10 days you'd come back home and you have the skill set and the mentality to be able to pretty quickly pivot right back onto your thing and mitigate the damage. Can we get our clients to have that same skill? It takes time, but I think I know the answer is yes. Well, and you're just funny. I'm, I'm just thinking about kind of like what things I've learned as somebody being in the industry and being a coach for, for years myself is, and I never really thought of giving it a free meal. I always thought of it as like, okay, tonight I'm not going to worry. Like Friday, like you said, Friday or Saturday night, I'm not really going to worry about it because I know the rest of the week has been relatively on track. Mm -hmm. and, and, you, and it is. I mean, you go through that course correction. And I don't know about you, Doc, but anytime I get off, anytime like you get off track for more than two or three days, I feel I feel horrible. You feel it immediately. Yeah. Like once you right. get into a regular habit, like – I tell people that, you know, I have back issues and I've been seeing a chiropractor all year, partly because I haven't been traveling. I can swing a, a, a 24 kilogram or 28 kilogram kettlebell. No problem. Doesn't bother my back. Sitting in an airplane seat for 12 hours flying to Asia, big problem. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's just like you get your body gets used to activity and your body gets used to a certain habit that when you get away from that, it really just it, it crushes you. So what's what's the feedback that you've gotten from people from your clients that as they've changed their habits, have they been able to make these habits stick? And and what does it take to make to make a habit sticky? I'm kind of pinching my fingers together yeah. like something sticky. But but what does it take in your experience with your program? What's it take to help people make those habits sticky? First thing um, is is. And I'll, I'll be a little more brief here because we've talked about all these elements. The first thing is having that deep emotional foundation of why, like why this even matters. And it has to be, no, you have to understand it, like why your fitness matters and how it affects everything you care about. You got to feel that as true because that's the emotive power behind your decision-making, number one. Number two, the thing you're trying to create as your habit, if you're building it, typically focus on one thing at a time. It's a lot easier to dial in your nutrition 
than it is to dial in your nutrition and your exercise simultaneously. So this is why we look at people. What do you have working in your life right now? Do you have good consistency with nutrition? Do you have good, good consistency with exercise? Where's the number one gap we can address? You install that one at a time. There's a really great book called The Power of Habit. A lot of people have probably read it at this point. It's been out over five, 10 years, yellow cover. Um, and, and they talk about the importance essentially of, of doing around one habit at a time in terms of adoption. Um, and the idea that the, the habit routine itself needs to be super simple. For busy people, whenever we're adding friction or cognitive load to anything we want to execute, it becomes less automatic. Like we don't have to, like when you push the button on the car, it's not like you're, you're going to, there's no thinking of whether or not it's going to turn on. Like, I mean, unless you have a very, very old car, but you get the idea. It's like, it's, it's something that's become an expectation, a habit. It's, it's automatic. So how do we micro, how do we shrink down the things that are good for us in the domains of nutrition, sleep, exercise into very simple habits? So for us, I think one, one concept philosophy, I think is very important is the idea when you're having people do their meals throughout the day is having standardized meals, AKA what we call go-to meals versus a different type of meal, which is like a more variety meal. So first two meals of the day, can you make those go-to? Can you make breakfast and lunch go-to? Or if you just intermittent fast, your meal one, can you make that go-to no thinking and a variety later in the day? So I guess it's, it's a really tough question to answer. As I said, I'd be brief and then I go and ramble for a little bit. But, <laughs> no, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll pause there for, for lack of rambling some more. But these are some things we're definitely thinking about in our program design. Well, and I want to shift gears a little bit about goal setting and, and, and where I'm going to go. And I'll say this again. I really think this is a failure of the fitness industry. Again, and I'll say it right out. And, and I've been, been in the industry for a long time is we set these goals up, doctor, of you have to look a certain way. You have to have a certain appearance. You have to have... For men, you have to have six-pack abs. I mean, pick up any any men's health or – and no offense to men's health, but you pick up any men's fitness magazine and it's like arms, abs, whatever. You know, you see that che- – arms, abs, chest. It's like every magazine has arms, abs, chest. Women have to deal with – you know, they have to deal with butt, hips, whatever it is. Yes. But we're, we've been conditioned people to have to look and feel a certain way. One of the things I try to get people thinking about is get away from appearance and get more towards performance. That's why I say do what you want to be able to do. Yeah. So when you do goal setting with your clients, do you try to what type of goals do you try to help them set? Do you try to get them to be more towards that type of outcome? Or do you hear a lot of guys saying, wow, I want to have six-pack abs? Or they come up with these because they've been – and the reason why I say that is we've been conditioned, and I'm doing quotes, we've been conditioned to have these as our goals because that's the expectation. Here's what I care about when coaching a client, it's, it's that whatever emotive power that someone has that's relevant to them, like, let's use that. Now it is good to help people broaden out their perspectives and drop conditioning. That's not serving them. We see this a lot for women because there's so much pressure a lot in the female fitness industry to look a certain way, to weigh a certain way. And a lot of it's BS and, and super, super harmful. But if someone has a motivation like deeply, like we had a guy who thinks we have a client we just was talking about the other week called Suresh. His goal was legitimately his whole life. He's, he's around 55 or so uh, to have six pack abs. And that was like really motivating for him. Not even just like he got conditioned by men's health. That was his thing. And so that fired him up enough to ultimately get those six pack abs. With this stuff, I think it's good to harness your deepest motivations possible, which is probably a combination of aesthetics, Mm. but it's likely a combination of aesthetics with these deeper values. We call it the fit father project, not just like the fit man project, because what we find is for a lot of our guys that come in, a lot of guys are willing to not make the changes for themselves, like have the beer belly, know I'm going to die young like my dad kind of thing. But, it, but then they think about what's it going to be like for their kids if they're not there and maybe want to see their grandkids grow up. So finding these reasons that are bigger than just you 
help wrap this, this greater meaning in the why. So that's one important aspect. And the other important aspect is I, I'm a goal guy and I, I love timelines because I think that the structure helps busy people. Like even if you have something to aim at, you're not following it perfectly. It moves you in a, in a structured direction. So our first program is we have people nail 30 days. It's just like, we're here in the momentum building phase. Let's write a mission statement for these 30 days. And let's, let's execute the core routines on nutrition, sleep, exercise. And people do that. And then once they've seen it, the cool thing about 30 days, when it comes to weight loss, you can have people lose 10, 15 pounds. And that's huge. Can't even be stated how huge that is. So it's probably the most important pounds that someone loses on their journey, because it's that momentum and confirmation thing that like, I can do this and this works. Well, if I, can cut in, if I can cut in real quick, that's one thing we've seen with behavior change is, and I've, I've heard people over the years, I want to lose 30, 40 pounds. And it's like, wait, time out, time out. Let's focus on the first five pounds Yeah. because yes, you can get to 30 pounds, but you can't lose 30 without losing five. Yeah. You know, so it's a matter of, I think, cause I think that's where one people, I think that's one area where a lot of people get off track is I set up a goal. I'm going to lose 50 pounds. Well, if I don't make progress towards that in, in a relatively recognizable time period, I'm going to throw up my hands and say, well, forget it. I'm not going to, I didn't get towards that. But if as a coach, if we can say, hey, look, 50 pounds is a great goal, but let's take a step back. And in order to do that, let's work on the first five or seven pounds. And from there, we'll reset a goal. Is that the power? And where I'm going with this, is that the power of the 30 days? I love the idea of like, let, let's focus on the first 30 days and then we'll go from there. Yeah, it is. It is. I think it's, it's respecting someone's long-term vision, like whatever that is. Like, I really want to lose 50 pounds. Like that is noted. That is ultimate goal. And then we phase it down into the actionable because it takes the pressure and the stress off that big number. And when you have a big number, right, you're, you're focusing on eliminating a gap versus when you have a 30 day thing, you're almost focusing a little bit about moving forward and building momentum. One's positive in the sense that we're moving, we're in forward action. The other one is we're negative in the sense that we're trying to close the deficit. Um, and I think there's power in seeing, being inspired by the big one, but bringing it down to 30 days, uh, gets great. And after 30 days, you can kind of reevaluate, you can make pivots, you can course correct. Um, and, and one thing we're huge on with coaching clients is like very high touch during that, that the first 30 days, like people, that's where people need help and need questions answered. Every question that comes up, um, is, is a stumbling block for somebody, but if you can help them solve that, these are some of their unconscious objections coming out or, or, or it's just legitimately, they have information gaps that need to be solved. But if you really like can handhold clients for 30 days and then intentionally start releasing that handhold and giving them more wind in their sales in months two and three, so that they're starting to make this their own, which is a pet peeve of mine. Cause I think that oftentimes coaches can become glorified long-term babysitters if people don't learn to take their own personal account accountability with it. So that's kind of part of the coaching. Right. Um, and I think it's different in this online space versus physical, personal training, physical, personal training. You want people to come back. That's the whole game, right? I want you to come back into my studio for the next 10 years and we'll both have amazing results doing that. But when you're helping people in a, in a different way, that's not necessarily personal training in person, like we do, the goal is all about empowerment. It's all about empowerment and giving people, you know, that their ability to do it by themselves, wherever, whenever a system that's stable and it works for them long-term. Do you hear that? No, you barely hear a thing. This is a new Accelerate percussion massage gun by Nimble. I've been using this for the past few weeks and absolutely love it. First, as you can tell, it's not that noisy. If you've ever been in the gym and wondered who the heck is using an air hammer only to find out it's one of those massage guns, you know how loud they can be. This one is super quiet, which means you can use it around other members of your family when they're asleep, either late at night or early in the morning. 
I saw the first one of these back in 2007 and the cost was more than $2,000 and the prices come down substantially. The way a massage gun works is it activates the muscle spindles and the Golgi tendon organs in your muscle tissue to help relieve tension. There's some great research out there. I've read it. Trust me. I am loving this massage gun. And if you love to exercise, if you love to work out, if you love to push yourself and you want good sources of recovery so you can get back to that next workout, I highly, highly recommend the Accelerate Massage Gun by Nimble. There'll be a link down below in the show notes. Because you're, you listen to All About Fitness, because you're an All About Fitness listener, use code AAF20. That's AAF20 to save 20% on the purchase of an Accelerate Nimble Percussion Massage Gun of your own. If you're looking for a great source of recovery, I highly recommend it. Information is down below in the show notes. Let's get back to the interview. Well, it's funny you say that, Doc, because in the final like phase of when I was personal training full-time, I looked at it as I wanted to work myself out of a client. That's good. I realized that it was it was better for me to – if you came to me, for the most part, the people I worked with were busy professionals in D.C. who wanted to know what to do when they got to the gym, yeah. right? I, I, I got very good at, at being able to micro-target that because I, I worked with people obviously who were new to exercise, but a large percentage of my business became you're somebody that you love going to the gym. You just want to know what you need to do when you're there. You don't want to waste your time there. So you would hire me for 10 or 20 sessions with the goal being, I'm going to teach you a program that you do on your own, mm-hmm. meaning I'm going to work myself out of a client. And what I realized was over the long term, I now had a list of like 30 people I could contact and say, hey, let's do a program update. So if one of my if one of my people I was seeing two times a week was out of town for a period of time, which happened a lot, I could reach out to you and say, hey, Anthony, it's been about four or five weeks. I have these spots open. Let's do a let's do a little bit of a, an update. I will do a program awesome. update. I realized that that was, but that was kind of where I evolved to in the fitness because I agree one hundred percent. I think again, this is a failure. of The fitness industry is we get people, we get clients to rely on us as opposed to empower them. Because yes. frankly, I don't want to babysit you. I'm sorry, but if you're not motivated to exercise, I can't motivate you to exercise. But if you're motivated and want to know what to do to be more effective, well, now I can work with you. Now I can, and, but that was for me, right? That was where I saw saw my sweet spot. Now I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you a little bit about your bodybuilding background because I think that's that's so interesting that you kind of came to this. What 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 type of bodybuilding do you do, or what type of competitions do you do, and what got you motivated to start in the bodybuilding in the bodybuilding arena? Well, you know, when I after my dad passed. And I was right. I was nine at the time. My 10th birthday was a couple of weeks later. My mom gave me a pair of my dad's old dumbbells mm. and I just, you know, it was, it was, a, it was an emotional healing thing, but I started exercising at night, you know, doing curls, push-ups, sit-ups. I didn't, really didn't know what I was doing, but you know, whatever I was lifting weights and, and trying to do something. And I did get stronger just from sheer effort. And I found that as I got stronger, my athletic capacity increased. And then I got into high school. I went to an all boys Jesuit school. There was no girls. So the best thing to do is to become the strongest guy you could, right? That's just what yeah. we did. So I started packing my meals, having my gallon of water and, and trying to get big. And, and I did, I made a lot of progress throughout high school, put on almost a hundred pounds. Mm. And when I got into college, I'm like, you know, I, I was a wrestler in, in high school and I realized that I liked lifting weights more than I actually liked competing in wrestling. So I'm like, this is interesting. I'm going to look at this. And I'm like, there's this whole world of bodybuilding started competing in college. Um, I did, I think my first show around 18 and I competed all the way through. I was around 25. 
Um, I was a good bodybuilder in the junior division. So I won a national championship in a division in, in an organization called muscle mania. They're natural tested. Although let's be honest, their pros are not exactly natural. Even they're one of those semi things, but I was a young kid. So I didn't need to get into that stuff heavily. I was a good bodybuilder under 23. Um, and I competed till I was about 25 and I had done it for about 10 years at that point. Um, of just like lifting weights every week for, for like at least three times a week. So I, I got a lot of experience under my belt there and, and bodybuilding was such a nice thing to do before medical school, because they don't teach you enough medical school about how to manipulate macronutrients to change body composition, um, and how, how to train properly, how to recover properly. And, and bodybuilders oftentimes are on the bleeding edge of, of a lot of these experimental new things. They're trying to maximize everything possible. And that, that mindset can lead to a lot of innovation. So I was able to take a lot of that and kind of bring that experience into the more medical, how does the body actually work? And what are the holistic long-term principles? Because let's face it, hardcore fitness and competitive bodybuilding is not exactly uh, in the same line and vein as living a long, healthy life. There are different things you might do in, in those two circumstances. Well, it's interesting. I interviewed Dorian Yates last year, who was a multiple Mr. Olympia winner. And, and man, he talks about his, his body is beat to heck and he, he does, to be. yeah, he does more yoga and meditation now, but yeah, he won like six, I think six Mr. Olympia titles and in the nineties. training heavy, like yeah, heavy he, duty. Like, I mean, we're talking like sets to failure, like high intensity training, like period. That's, that's Dorian's jam. And now, yeah, now he lives in in Spain and does more yoga and horseback riding and mountain biking for for his program. But it's just it, it's interesting to note that. And, and real quick, I want to ask you a little bit about about your workout program now. And I forgot to mention this earlier, Anthony, because one of the biggest motivation things I have, and and and, and motivation is so important to find other people around you. It was a vicarious experiences, people that you can relate to that motivate you. When I was a young man right out of college, 22 years old, and, and arrogant as, as all get out, right? Mm-hmm. And I joined a men's rugby club in Washington, D.C. and thought I was fit and in shape. No, I was nowhere near fit to be playing competitive rugby. And I didn't know that this was one of the top tier rugby clubs in the country, right? I just show up. I think I'm going to play rugby. These guys were 15 to 20 years older than me. They're in their mid to late 30s, maybe early. A couple of them were in their early 40s. And they beat the snot out of me, almost, I mean, quite literally, running me into the ground and stuff. But at that point, at 22 years old, when I saw, when I learned that, that Jim Trump was one of the guys, he was like 38 years old at the time, and he was just beat the, beat the snot out of me in practice, it kind of switched on of like, I want to be in, in, in good shape. I want to be in his shape when, he's, when I'm his age. Because he would lead the fitness running for the practice, and he'd run us into the ground. Here I am, you know, little twenty-two-year-old, blah, whatever. And he would literally, at thirty-eight years old, would run us into the ground. And for me, I switched on at that point and said, "I am never going to get out of shape because when I play and when I get older, and now that I'm in my forties, I'm trying to get back into some old boys matches, which is, and now I can be on the over forty-five team instead of over thirty-five team. Nice. And big, but big difference, I. Yeah. But I've played with guys over the years, and this is one of my big motivating factors. I've played with guys in their 40s that were playing against kids in their 20s. You know, you think you see Tom Brady, you know, at 43 years old playing football. Stevie Durant, who's a doctor out of, um, he's a psychiatrist out of Boston. He was 47 years old playing on the playing on the field with 23 year olds and and able to hold his own. Right? These are the guys that that I saw that motivated me to maintain my fitness. So in your in your program, the, the first question I ask is, how important is it for people in your program and fit fathers to share their experiences so other people can see that it works? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So the kind of magic sauce, I think, and it may even be as important, if not more important than the 
meal plan workouts strategies we've discussed so far is we get people in community where they're all in there together, sharing updates, a space that feels like where they can be safe and vulnerable, but a space that's also empowering where we have a bunch of guys, different walks of life all over the world in a group together that are all like the sharing and pursuing a common goal. And what's really fun is I think the, the most motivating things for a lot of guys is seeing guys that are a couple months ahead of them that started off in worse shape than they are now. Mm. So seeing some of the vets that been us for a year, like they're 300 pounders who are now just dipping under 198 or whatever, uh, that is super motivating for the young guys to see what's possible. Young guys meaning new on the program. So it's really nice to have those, those figures you can like kind of look up to, especially if they feel like they're just like me. I mean, Tom Brady kind of seems like he broke the mold on that one a little bit. I mean, he's, he's so phenomenal, but I think people are going to be implementing some of his, uh, his, his practices and rituals to be able to play longer and longer for people on fitness programs. It's being around other people who have achieved similar results and start in a similar spot to you. That community aspect of our fit father, fit mother groups are amazing. Um, and it also gives people a chance to re-engage. Let's say life does get a little busy. You drift a little bit. Like you have a group that, you know, is constantly poking you those kind of reminders, reminding you of of your why, of why this stuff's important, and then gives you the opportunity to get back on track. Well, and and that's kind of why, that's why I've started coaching youth rugby is I want to set, you know, help these guys learn that rugby is something they can do for life. That, that being fit, especially if if they're 16, 17, don't ever get out of shape. Cause I'm sure you hear this a lot from guys in your program. Well, when I was in high school or when I was in college, I was in great shape. And then, and one of the things when I do teach in, in, in a college or whatever, and I'm working with younger and younger adults, I'm like, don't ever stop. Right. It's like you, your life is going to get busy. Like things are going to get in the way. You know, kid, I've had, I had kids in my forties. I had my first kid at age 40, my second kid at age 42. And just like you said, those are my primary motivators mm-hmm. for being fit. Cause I want to be able to, to enjoy activity with them well, well into the future. But I say that to people is don't ever let yourself get out of shape. Right. You can slow down in your activity. If you can't make it to the gym every day, fine. You get out and walk for 30 or 40 minutes because just do something that can be 20 in the morning, 20 in the afternoon. But it's just getting people into that mindset that that's a tough thing. Now, with that, how have your workouts changed from being a bodybuilder, which you're, it's a very specific way to train? Yes. Now that you're a busy professional, you're running your business, you're a speaker, you do a lot of things. How have you shifted your workouts in order to fit into this like new schedule? Yeah. Well, first off, I think the main, one of the main determinants that change my workouts is not as much schedule as it is like my body is in a different stage of life and I've accumulated some significant injuries from activities that now have changed how I do things. And I think this is really important um, because a lot of us just from life end up having stuff that does you have your back sometimes hurts. A lot of people have knees, shoulders, like whatever it is, we need to find a way to exercise with where our body's at today and find exercises that work well for us. And like for Dorian, he's definitely not doing heavy barbell rows like he used to. He's doing dramatically different things, but it's perfect for his current stage and is, is, is where he's at right now. So I can't and don't train the way I used to. Uh, tore a Latin anterior serratus doing mm. some heavy, heavy dumbbell uh, pullovers with, with ego in my 20s. Like So that's a thing. Uh, but the, the significant injury was about five years ago, um, at the tail end of medical school, I was, I was, uh, took a ski trip to Durango, Colorado, um, skiing very fast, uh, launched off this kind of like head wall thing and hit a tree going about 40. 
Ooh. shattered my femur, broke my arm, my leg, wow. uh, I had to have the leg reconstructed, a couple surgeries. So it was actually kind of a blessing in terms of my new development because my days of squatting and, and deadlifting heavy are, are, uh, you know, like to the same extent that I was at, at present body are not there. So I've had to adapt my training to do different things. And it's so fun because for example, for leg work, um, although I will do traditional strength training, a lot of unilateral stuff for legs. Now I'm doing stuff like riding my bike, doing sprints on the bike, much lower, lower impact on my legs, but feels absolutely amazing. So I think my, my training philosophy now is more or less, I'm still doing very, a combination of, I would say metabolic resistance training, um, on occasion. So circuit style, like circuit kettlebell complex kind of, kind of stuff, uh, a couple of traditional strength training, heavy days, um, you know, using motions that feel good for my body. Um, and then having a lot of fun with the other things, like filling the gaps of fun activities, like sprinting on my bike, going to play paintball at a local place, like whatever this is, that's just using my body in an active way. The biggest thing I've learned as I've gotten older in my own personal training is that I auto-regulate like crazy now. Like when I bodybuild, I, I was, mm-hmm. I followed periodized programs for about 10 years to great effect. And I, I don't know if I, w- I probably wouldn't have had the results that I have gotten if I didn't have such structured training. Um, but now my training is so much more fluid. It's a lot more intuitive. It's kind of like, what is my body presenting me with this day, this week? And so I might not follow exactly the same fixed workout schedule from one week to another. And I'm slotting things in when you're busy. Oh, I have an, a two hour gap in between this thing, that thing. You better believe I'm going into the garage and getting my movement in for that day. So I, I, I guess I take it less seriously too, where I'm not looking at tracking my PRs or hitting numbers as big. Um, but for me, I don't, it, it's not what I need at this stage of life. And what I'm much more concerned about is how do I take these things that I'm learning in my own routines and translate them to people who are not trying to be competitive bodybuilders, but want something sustainable that feels good on their body. What are the principles that work? And it seems to be, it's like listening to your body, daily activity over exercise. I'm always taking a a walk. Even if I'm not necessarily training that day, I'm morning walks at least twice, absolutely meditating. Um, and then trying to do vigorous activity, I'd say at least every other day. Um, and, and I get it in, in, in my home gym or out in the world, doing some fun activities. Well, is and I don't mean to laugh. I laughed earlier when you said the thing about ego, right? Because I think that's one thing that as we get a little more mature, we realize that we look back in our youth and our 20s, it's like, wow, I was and I kind of tell people like I run an old friend sometimes I might say, well, I was kind of a jerk when I was whatever. And I'm like, look, under the age of 25, all men are just like a complete idiot right like if it's if you do something over the age of 25 then there's an issue we got to address that but under the age of 25 i think we're all just running around just ego driven you know egomaniacs and so but you learn i love this concept of autocorrect well i'll say one thing you were talking earlier about naturopathic medicine about the body treating the whole not the part i look at exercise the same way where i work on movement patterns and integrated movement patterns like pushing pulling rotating hinging as opposed to isolation like biceps triceps back because the body the brain knows movement the brain doesn't know muscles yes and and did you have children no not yet okay movement intention but you're absolutely right yeah the brain knows movement intention yes but watching my kids watching my two daughters learn how to crawl and walk was so informative because at no one time did they lay on their back doing crunches at no one time were they doing bicep curls but watching them develop these motor patterns so now when i look at exercise i look at exercises how do we move more effectively Mm -hmm. and then what you said was so so critical that i want to harp on this for listeners and we'll wrap it up is knowing when to autocorrect and say you know what today's maybe not the day i go my hardest 
for whatever reason. Maybe you didn't sleep well. Maybe nutrition was a little bit off your normal pattern. When we were younger, we would force ourselves to work through, right? I can, Mm -hmm. we can probably agree on that. Yes. But now that we're a little bit older, we might say, hmm, today's a day, you know what? I'm going to I want to downregulate. Instead of lifting something heavy, I'm just going to move. Maybe I'm going to do a mobility workout. But on the other hand, like I did yesterday, I started out for a walk. I was feeling groovy, so I, I pushed it forward. Perfect. And then, and then the other comment I'll say is, I love the fact how you say something fun like sprints. A lot of people might hear sprints out there and go, "Oh my goodness, the last thing I want to do is sprint on a bike." Yet you and I both realize that kind of like that dopamine rush of like so get fun. through like a 30 to right. I mean, how, how much does that change your mindset with that? Yeah. And, and, and you also, it's also fun when you get off a, a sprinting workout and you've maybe did a 10, 15 minute sprinting workout and, and you feel like you exercise for two hours and you know, you're good. Like there's also a time benefit to it too. And, and, and here's the deal for like, for longevity, daily movement, for sure. Keeping those movement patterns. We definitely prioritize like swing, squat, rows, overhead pressing modified for people's bodies, but you stay strong in foundational movements. Like that's the quality of your life as you age. And that being said, you know, for, for really maximizing fitness as you age, these intermittent joint friendly, but very high intensity workouts are very good. Like sprinting on a bike, man. I mean, that's easy on your knees. Uh, very, very good on your, your quads and your cardiovascular system. It's high intensity exercise, like improved and we could run, you could do many different ways, but I, I just think that's a, it's a subtle thing that you and I have both kind of figured out and it's very, very good. Now, one other subtle thing, then we'll wrap it up is you and I have had this conversation. We both been standing the entire time. Yeah. Right? yeah. Is that, I mean, but I want to say that's, but that's an example of redirecting or learning a new behavior because in my, in my place, in my apartment, my, my, the tables I have are more pub style. So I can stand at the tables that I have and not necessarily sit down. So I can, I can be seated in a, in a stool or I can stand up and type on the table. But isn't that, that's just indicative of the mindset of like carrying this forward to everything we do in the life, right? It is. And, and unfortunately, it's the small, seemingly mundane things we do on re- repetition throughout the day that can that can either really help us and give us a massive compounding effect or really hurt us. And the standing sitting thing is, is happens to be one of those. It's probably a whole different episode. I'm sure you have a sitting expert, but I'll, I'll come back if you want someone to harp on how sitting is, is very dangerous regardless of anything else. But but yes, it, it is, it's no surprise that we're both standing. We both have integrated these things and uh, it's it's been an amazing conversation today. Well, I appreciate your time. And, and Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, talk a little bit, just where can people find more information about Fit Father? And, and I love that you guys have a very robust YouTube page as well. So you have a lot of information available where people can learn how to put more of this activity and more of these programs into their life. Yeah, I would say you can find us on our direct web URLs, fitfatherproject.com or fitmotherproject.com or our YouTube channels are the other place to check. You can search Fit Mother Project or Fit Father Project. And we have like almost like a thousand videos on all sorts of different topics, but a lot of actionable stuff, like a workout that we might've discussed today, a reference to there, you can find that stuff on the YouTube. And then our websites have a bunch of case studies, cool things. You can get free meal plans for your workouts. You can check those out. All right. Well, doctor, thank you for your time. And really, this was a, a fun conversation. I will probably have you back in the future. Thanks, Pete. Now that I say this a lot, right? Again, this is if you if you want to see that conversation, and I mean that both doctor. If you listen to that, Doctor Balduzzi and I were both standing up for the entire conversation. That's just one of the habits that we've created. We both have have created habits to be more active, to habits to have more fitness and more activity throughout the day. That's just what we're doing. We're standing. If you want to see 
the interview. If you want to see most of my interviews, all the interviews I've been doing in 2021, well, let me restate that. Most of the interviews I've been doing in 2021, I've been recording for YouTube. I now have the All About Fitness Podcast YouTube channel. If you're a subscriber on that, thank you so much. I really, I'm trying to put out more information on the YouTube channel. I'll be putting up educational information. I'll be putting up how-tos. I'm, again, I'm trying to make this community. I want All About Fitness to be a community for how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. That's my goal to help you learn how to do that. If you like the podcast, again, I ask that you can support the podcast, pick up an ebook, the Functional Core Training ebook, Exercise for the Fountain of Youth ebook, Dynamic Anatomy ebook. I'm working on a metabolic conditioning ebook that will be coming out in the not too distant future. These ebooks are about the cost of a magazine and will give you a tremendous amount of information about how to add more activity to your life. Ageless Intensity, my newest book, is coming out soon. You can pre order it now. Smarter Workouts, the, my book that teaches you how to design your own workout programs is already out. There'll be All these links are down below in the show notes. This was a very, especially when I saw the fact that, that Dr. Balduzzi had lost his father in an early age, right? And, and hearing him tell that story is, is very touching, especially as a father myself. And that, that to me, honestly, is one of my primary motivating factors for why I exercise, why I do fitness, why I'm active every day, is my daughters. My daughters are in elementary school. I'm almost 50. I'm a, I'll be 49 this year. My daughters are in elementary school. We started late. The type of fitness content I want to put out there is exactly what, what Dr. Balduzzi is doing with Fit Father Project. I want to put out the content that helps you learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. Because if you're like me and you have kids, if you're like me, you're a mid-career professional, and you understand that when you're active every day, when you eat better, when you sleep well, you just feel better. You have more energy. You're more engaged. You're sharper. You're cognitively sharper. And I love what we were talking about, about we can do things right, but we get off our plan for a day or two, and man, it kicks us in the gut, right? If, if I get off my, I know that, I, I know what I should be eating. We all know what we should be eating, and I don't vegan, paleo. I don't care about that crap. We all know what we should be eating. And we all know what we should not be eating. And we all know that we should be getting more sleep, right? And what happens when we do everything right? We're getting, we're active every day. We get our heart rate up really hard two or three times a week. We get out of breath a couple times a week. We do, we're moving every day. We're sleeping well. We're eating well. What happens? We fire on all cylinders, but if we get off track with a couple meals or, or we go on a little vacation or we take a work trip and we get off our normal schedule, how much does that slow us down? If you're like me, it kicks you in the butt, right? It, it really it affects you. That's the mindset that we need to have. We need to have that mindset of just what can we do today to improve our health, right? What can we do today to be more active? What can we do today to eat the right things, to be more mindful about what we're putting in our body? I love the fact that naturopathic doctors look at the body can heal itself. It can, right? You, we, obviously, you break a leg, you got to go see a doctor. You have, you have a heart disease, you need to go get that taken care of. But most of the time with that stuff, it's eat well, <laughs> exercise, sleep, hydrate. It's the basic stuff. But if we don't have that habit, it can be really hard to start it. And, and we talked about, I talked a little bit about dopamine and, and the neurotransmitters. These are all, these, these are the chemicals in our body. You, you've heard that term runner's high, 
those are the neurotransmitters in our body, dopamine, serotonin. And you have a, you have a cannabinoid receptor system in your body. That's, that's why THC, that's why cannabis works, is you have a whole receptor system in your body that helps alleviate pain. That's one of the reasons why we get like a runner's high, right? The reason why I'm saying that is eating the wrong foods, you know, eating, eating high sugary foods, eating fried foods. And trust me, I've been there. We, we all have done that, right? Nobody's perfect, absolutely, by any stretch of the imagination. But eating those foods can, can elevate levels. I mean, what's the research that I've seen? A Snickers bar can elevate your dopamine just like, a, like cocaine can, right? Drugs, sugar, all that stuff. They, they just change our neurotransmitters. But exercise and activity is one of the most powerful ways to regulate our neurotransmitters. You want a good high? Go out for a brisk walk around your neighborhood. You want to get a really, you want to get a, you want to slap a vein? You want to get a really good dose of something that'll make you feel good? Do a hard workout. Do that, do that 15-minute sprint workout Dr. Balduzzi re, you know, referenced. Right? If we work hard, if we exercise hard for 15, 20 minutes at a time, we get out of breath, we're sweating hard. That's going to be that's going to give us the same feel good fix as having a, a double Big Mac and supersized fries. What's going to be the long term? What's, what's going to be better for your long term health? What's going to allow you to, to age gracefully with your kids? What's going to allow you to get the most out of life? It's just a matter of changing habits and changing mindsets. And I'll wrap it up with this. I can't tell you. I've talked a little bit about being a rugby player. I probably talked too much about being a rugby player on here. But I can't tell you how motivating it was for me as a young man, 20s and early 30s, to see men 15, 20 years older than me. When I was playing in Boston, you know, Stevie Durant was in his 40s. Mick Carey was 50 years old playing the Rugby Super League in the U.S. He was the first 50-year-old to ever play in the Super League. To see these men out there playing rugby, doing the conditioning work, that men half their age. Stevie Durant, Steve Durant played in a national championship game with his son, Brian. Brian started at the number 10. Stevie came in at the number 12, which is inside center. And if anybody knows rugby, the 9 to 10, 10 to 12, the 11 plays out on the wing. So to watch Steve play in a national championship game with his son, Brian, who I think was 25 or 26 at the time, that's why I stay fit. Not that I plan on playing rugby with my daughters. That's not going to be, <laughs> that's just for a variety of reasons. We might play touch rugby, and I do play a little bit. Of, I've taught them how to throw the ball around a little bit. But that, to me, is why we exercise. We exercise so we can spend time with our families. We exercise. We, we be fit. We're fit. We're healthy. So we can go out and be with the ones we love, and we can spend time with the ones we want to spend time with. That's why I want to have Dr. Balduzzi on. That's why I want to introduce you to the Fit Father Project. His links will be down below in the show notes. Check them out. I really uh, invite you to do that. If you haven't already, please go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. Go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. Sign up for my mailing list. I'll send you a chapter from Smarter Workouts. I'll, I'll get you connected. I'm going to send out one or two high-quality emails a month. because This is a mindset that, that Anthony and, and others like myself, we have. I want to help you. If you're not already there, I want to help you learn how to adopt that mindset. If you want to find me on, on YouTube, it's the All About Fitness Podcast channel on YouTube. Instagram, please you know, stay in touch with me on Instagram. If you listen to All About Fitness, you know, Instagram is All About Fitness Podcast. My Instagram tag is the All About Fitness Podcast on Instagram. It really is a pleasure to have you join me. And as always, thank you for stopping by 
And I soon look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.